When the only way to beat LAFC is to toy with them, uh, it's not so nice. LLS. A North American soccer podcast with myself, Andrew Bates, and Nick Thornton. Nick, how are you? I'm doing ever so well. Another very interesting week of soccer games in MLS. Yeah, absolutely. Um, stuff happening on and off the field as well. Absolutely, but... Um... Of course, Mason Toy had a big week. Uh, come back to your little intro there. Very exciting to see. <laughs> we love we love a youngster just turning heads and causing problems, and that was certainly the case this week. Now the New York City game, the Vancouver New York City. Were you there? I was not there. Um, I feel like already my my little team of folks who held who have had. Um, Seasons tickets with, we're so, we're already kind of breaking up the band, um, but none of us could make oh, it. No. So I, I caught a I caught a little bit of it on TV. I have to admit, I, w- I was not there for it. I I wasn't able to get it on the night of, because uh, that was also the night of um, All Out and a couple of, and and just a just a crazy day in its own. That's uh, a wrestling uh, thing, listeners. Yes, uh, crazy day in its own respect. But I did catch it in its entirety the next day. Um, the uh, and you know it's it's a tough time for the Whitecaps, but uh, so that's one of the ones where you just got to shake your head and go, "Well, what can you do?" It'll yeah, only so- it'll only boil it'll only boil Marto Santos's brain more uh, every time that there is like a, a disallowed penalty for some reason. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean, this one for me was. Um, I mean, it started kind of weird because um, Jake Nowinski was injured quite early on. Um, and I believe uh, he has a sprained ankle, although I haven't heard an update about how long he's expected to be out. Um, so that was not starting things off on the right foot. Not No pun intended. But this is the weird thing about the Whitecaps, is that you know, New York City FC is a fantastic team. You'd expect them to probably come and beat us, but I felt like the Whitecaps actually played relatively well. Like, as mm-hmm. a team, they looked pretty good for much of what I've seen of the match. Um, I caught about 30 minutes, and seeing that chunk of play, it wasn't like a, a 3-1 blowout, but, yeah, you know, it's just, it's these early goals, and it's just not being fully switched on that it just bites them again. Crippo, I think Max Crippo had talked about how he had had some issues that, um, no, that he basically, I don't know if he apologized, straight up apologized for the third goal, but Mm. I think a lot of people would say, well, well, perhaps Matrita is great. I mean, like Matrita's shot is absolutely fantastic. Yeah, uh, but I feel like there is a, a, a there was a slight acknowledgement from Crippo that like, well, I could add that one, or I'm mad that I didn't. I feel like I feel like that was a, a feeling. So, so if you look at that, the idea that maybe it's kind of more of a two one game than a three one game, um, that seems fair to the you know the the, the efforts of both teams. 
It does, and, and to where their strengths lie and have lay all season. I think, for me, it just comes back to this point of, like, what is the plan here? Because we keep being told to have patience and to trust the process, and that's fine. Of course I buy into that. I want to see a coach have a couple of years to make an impact and put a stamp on a team. It's just that Mark DeSantos keeps referencing this this process and this plan we just have no idea what it is. And for me, how my question is, how are we supposed to believe that we're ever going to be able to beat a team like New York City clean, like, handily? Um, I believe we've beat them before. Yes. I, mean, I could be wrong on that. Um, no, because I think we beat them in Yankee Stadium that time. Um, but... No, uh, Yankees, if, so not this year. Uh, I, I know because I was in mm-hmm. both games. Uh, Whitecaps tied 2-2 in Yankee Stadium and then beat them at home the year before at BC Place. Right, 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 right. Um, it's just that, you know, teams can every year in MLS get better. But I feel like the Whitecaps have really lost the plot in terms of every team improves. So we're not just talking about improved for the Whitecaps. It's improved across the league that we need. Um, And New York City FC is a team that has consistently done that and has finally put an identity on the team. And yes, they relied on some big names in their early years and had a lot of weaknesses because of it. They did well and sat at the top of the table because they could rely on David Villa coming on and scoring two goals to dig them out of a hole. They don't have that anymore. But now they have a, a stronger team, and they've found their, their designated players. They've spent money in the right places. They deserve to be where they are. And although, yes, I know the Whitecaps are looking to improve things in the scouting departments, I just kind of go, what was the point in throwing away everything and starting from scratch this year if it kind of feels like they have to do that again? I really struggle to see beyond five or six players who who will be coming back next year that's a good point and it steps it steps back to go they say oh it steps back to go forward but yes what were you gonna say i forgot (laughs) it steps back to go forward but at the same time um there this is not a league and partially it's the super draft and partially it's your own your own choices this is not a league unlike, you know, uh, trust the process was uh, was made for the NBA. It was a, a statement that came from the NBA where you have top quality star people coming in every year through the draft and one or two players can really change the fate of your franchise if you get the right one. Mm-hmm. Um, you don't get assets in this league for letting things go. Yeah. And, and the Whitecaps have not really dealt with and one of the one of the, the the things I think that's a part of this uh, is David Norman Jr., mm-hmm. who was sort of a longtime prospect and, and went to Scotland and, and looked promising for Queen of the South. Uh, never found the the, the um, never found the field in MLS. They announced earlier this week that he was being loaned for the last four games of the season. And AFTN asked if he can't find this, if he can't find the pitch now, when when would he potentially ever find the pitch? And 
Then it was announced that he was being traded to the new uh, expansion side, Inter Miami, for a conditional draft pick in 2022 in three years. Yeah. Well, and the, yeah, that's kind of my, my link here it, to, to this news item is just that, okay, we're told that there's a plan. And I'm not saying that there's not. And I'm not saying that mm-hmm. I'm, I'm open to trusting that. It's that there's so little detail about what it is. And there's evidence against a succinct plan where I really struggle to get behind understanding how a long-term vision is is going to be played. I mean, first of all, we were told Kai Kamara doesn't fit into the long-term uh, view of the, the team. Fine, that's totally fair, and people are tired of hearing me bang on about it. But just to illustrate the point, but then we have a young player in David Norman Jr., who seems completely ready to step into the midfield role. Granted, he's got, you know, I'd say Inbaum is probably the similar type of player ahead of him, but Lord knows that guy needs a rest. Why not give him a chance? And then to essentially let him go for nothing. And this is also after letting um, Lucas Venuto go for basically nothing for spending almost half a million dollars on a player and then letting him leave for nothing. It's just like, so what are we gaining by this? Like we're, we're arguably a a weaker side than we began at the beginning of the season. And we're being told to trust the process. And I'm just failing to see what exactly that process is. If there's not a clear development path, that being said, I was thinking about it this morning, and of course, you know, we've seen Theo Bear get his chance and take it. Um, so I don't think we can say, you know, Mark Dos Santos can't develop youth players. I don't think that's fair to say. I don't think it was fair to say to Carl Robinson either, because I think he did have success with developing some youth players. And it's just not always clear cut how that's going to work. It's just for such a, a promising young player um, who seems you know, excited to move on to a challenge, but also did say, you know, he's disappointed it didn't work out for him at the Whitecaps. It's, you know, it's also maybe not sending the right message to the academy players. I don't know. Yeah. I don't, I don't quite there's, know what there, to read into it. There's a gap. There's obviously a gap and it existed when Whitecaps 2, the essentially MLS had a reserve league. And then, Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, the Reserve League was folded into sort of the idea of the, there was going to be affiliated teams in USL. So the Whitecaps had a team in USL, and then they folded that team um, in, and I think launched an affiliation with another team that, that with Fresno that doesn't exist anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, and even when they had a team, the gap between getting from there to the first team was very, like, had a very uh, high gulf. You know, at, at all points in the in the Whitecaps franchise, if they had homegrown players that spent seasons without ever playing a game and then left, um, but this one just feels weird because it's like to give somebody away for that, it's like you really had to want him gone, and he says it's disappointing how it ended. So that doesn't speak to me to a player that feels well. I tried my best, but I couldn't find it, and and I'm I'm better in another scenario. And the issue is mm-hmm. is that because. 
it's been so far relatively easy to access the development of all these players through games that are at UBC. At least that is for me, anyways. And and people are people are tuned in to how the the youth development works at the Whitecaps. Mm-hmm. And the Whitecaps are one of the the teams in that when it was first announced in two thousand nine. They helped shape mold the whole homegrown system because they were one of the few teams that had a residency program. Yeah. Um, so this is something that is supposed to be a, a, like a core value of the Whitecaps. And fans attach themselves to that. They, 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 I think that like fans try to, you know, look at the, the, the future of the team. And this weird thing happens now, I think, with Canadian Premier League. But not just Canadian Premier League, other MLS teams and USL teams, your favorite Whitecaps player doesn't play for the Whitecaps anymore. Yeah. It's that's just they're somewhere else. They're Marco Carducci playing in, in Calgary. It's uh Davies is the exception where you can nobody can be blamed for that. Uh but it's like but even even beyond him, it's like, you know, you you're you're following Jordan Harvey or Stephen Betashur or, you know, it's just the, those, I guess those are not the youth, the homegrown players. But my point is that like, if you have somebody that you're trying to invest in emotionally as a fan, that player has been traded. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, I don't want to belabor your point because I completely agree but I was thinking of that this week as well, is that part of the reason why it's been really hard to get into the Whitecaps this year is, despite all the off-field stuff, is I just feel like I know nothing about the current crop of players. Like, there hasn't really been much promotion of who these players are as people. And, like, and I think we've just lost a lot of big personalities as well. So it, it feels like a revolving door of sorts of, of players where you're like, I mean... A guy like PC, hardworking player. He's had a couple of moments that looked promising. I know he's he's had he had his stint in Orlando that didn't work out. Seems like a nice guy. I couldn't tell you a single thing about him, um, and it, it feels like just yet another player that's sort of brought in to be a bit of a band aid solution. Meanwhile, we have these players that spend so long in the academy and spend so long in the system and then just sort of trickle away. But the Canadian Premier League obviously does make things very interesting uh, because now there is potentially that that place for them to play. And that's where those players will go. I that's mean, a bittersweet feeling of watching Pacific. And that's where David Norman Jr. is. Is the Yeah. De Jong. Card- now, uh, uh, now David Norman Jr., uh, yeah. and, and the, it, it feels like you're watching Whitecaps fans watching a Whitecaps team in exile. A little bit, a little bit. Yeah. I mean, and it's, I, I think that's some of, somewhat of like our fan narrative that we're creating, but it's mm-hmm. definitely, yeah. If you want to build support and build culture around a club, um, there needs to be a bit more of a connection. I mean, that being said, we know that Mark DeSantis has also had, you know, as many as six Canadians on the field at, uh, once in our squad, which we haven't done before outside of like a Canadian championship game. And so it's not like Canadian players aren't getting a chance under him, but just to kind of bring That's it true. back home here to the original point is that we're not saying there's not a system. I would just love to know what the fuck it is <laughs> so that I can attach myself to it and cheer it on. 
because I'd love to have something to cheer for about this team. I want to believe, they, but I don't really know who the players are, and I have no idea where we're headed and or how. Um, there was earlier today, uh, Vancouver Pride's J.J. Adams got a hold of Steve Nash, who um, sometimes has felt absent from the process of the Whitecaps, despite the fact that his ownership of the his ownership of the Whitecaps comes before came before he uh, or co ownership came before he acquired a stake in. Raul Mallorca, and and his longtime connection with the game, which includes his brother, who played for the Whitecaps in the USL era, um, and, and just his longtime interest in it, has resulted in him getting sort of like a role for DAZN, which is uh, like, a, like an ambassador role for them. And that's that's how, you know, he's he's visible and how he's able to be talked, uh, talked about the Whitecaps. And and the only like like Whitecaps tweet that you'd seen from this is this this quote this one where he tweeted where he just said hang in there Whitecaps FC, which a lot of people the the more cynical parts of Whitecaps Twitter uh, um, leapt upon. He told you know he told JJ that uh, he was talking to the players because he understood the the feeling as an athlete of feeling like nothing goes your way, um, and. In his, you know, when he talks about how the fan, uh, the fans take it, it's like, uh, fans are emotional. I'm an emotional fan, but at the same time, when you're on the ownership side, you have to be stable, stick to your values. And I think that's what that's, is great about the Whitecaps recently. They've started to declare some values and intentions. What? What values? What are they? I'd love to know. I would We assume. heard. You... <laughs> You would seriously? No, I. Are you laughing at how angry I just got? <laughs> you, no. you can't even see my face. No, just, uh, yeah. Oh no, I, 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 I want to let you go off on that. Go off. <laughs> Drain my bank account. <laughs> no, I, I. It's truly just. Um, it's. It's not that any of the words are untrue or unreasonable. It's what are we referencing here? We're just just saying the buzzwords and building a culture and all this. Well, we've seen that it matters far more what a club does in terms of its action rather than just what it says. And we've seen a lot of that this year with the Whitecaps. I was going to I was going to actually move on because because part of what fires me up about this values thing. Mhm is the other big news that happened with the Whitecaps as we taped today on, on Thursday. And, mm-hmm. and there's just been so much that happens that happened this year to make me... Um, there's just been so much that has happened this year that, like, makes fans, even if it's off the field, that makes fans, like, feel that the, the values are inconsistent or not being... or, or, or just aren't there. And... The news today that the Whitecaps have issued a, a three-match ban against one of its uh, supporters, which is the remainder of the season, uh, for displaying a Iron Front logo on the uh, on a sign that also said um, anti-racist, anti-fascist, hashtag an Iron Front, or, or sorry, uh, United Front. Um, that uh, that is sort of it, it's not the only 
it's sort of the backlash that has come, and, and you've seen it across the league because some Portland Timbers fans were also uh, those those bands were also have also been announced mm-hmm. recently. Um, it is very very frustrating um, to to see a league that continues not only continues to 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 fight its fans but like puts its clubs in these position and it's it's frustrating that the club has uh has not gone to bat to you know uh and and, and has taken this move in in uh in suspending a, uh, a fan mm-hmm. yeah it's um we've got a go ahead Go for it. Well, it's just gonna, it's just hugely disappointing that we're still here. I mean, I, I was maybe overly hopeful that this is something we could have put to bed a couple of weeks ago, and yet here we are still talking about it. But of course, we forget that like MLS owns a controlling share in every club, right? So it ultimately clubs are taking directive from the league um, to some degree. I'd love to know more about how all of those things work but it's just you know and, and i also saw there was quite a bit of hubbub on twitter today because i believe a number of fans have been banned um from the timbers army as well and supporters section yes and they've all they they're just digging themselves even deeper i mean to have a 33 minute silence during a cascadia cup rivalry game like that's how important it was to the Timbers section, and now to come back at them with, um, with bands, is they're even more organized and more angry now. Like it's it's and, not going to be what, good. What is what's frustrating is is that from that game, uh, even in that game, there was a you know somebody snuck an iron iron front uh, the the thirty three minute game, somebody snuck a banner over the the wall and then people were like oh is it going to be allowed and it indeed did fly and then more people flew it in the next game and the thought is well i guess they've realized that they can't like that they that they can't hold this back but now they're they're allowing it but then going behind in in a way behind the back to just like to to call people on like you know in the middle of the week to uh, to say like we didn't feel we didn't feel brave enough to take this from you. Well, the first but, rule like... of fascism is to be completely <laughs> gutless, so it's not totally surprising there. But honestly, I mean that's that's how these things work, right? It's like it's also about complicity and and just you know using back channels to intimidate, um, and it can show up in lots of different forms and just i keep coming back to like how are we even having this discussion this isn't a debate this is completely ridiculous and like we're talking about something that they're trying to pass off as some moral code or something like that is just completely insane and even being totally generous in our assumptions about how these things are being read, it's, it's clear they don't understand their own policies or what political means, first of all. Yes. 
But at worst, it's this really insidious idea that's like, well, who's telling you that this can't happen? I mean, if if it's a free market and it's free speech and all of that, um, why are you saying that this can't be here? Something that's so like obviously not controversial. Like you're this... creating, you're creating the controversy here. The league is creating the controversy. Despite the fact that they have this lot, the tagline of, you know, a league for a new America, despite the fact that they have this don't cross the line campaign, the league finds it painfully difficult to actually take stands in favor for something. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Like the, the, the league can say vaguely that everybody should be accepted in a statement that comes during Pride Week games that using yeah. shirts that don't have Pride logos on them. Um, mm -hmm. like, But like they could say vaguely that we're a league for a new America. Uh, we're, we, we support everybody. Um, but I, I really tie this back in my mind to the challenge that they have had in dealing with uh, neo-Nazi... Uh, mm -hmm. affiliated individuals in New York City. They don't it, have uh, in the allegations that went on with that. They don't have the ability to actually say what you're doing is wrong and we you have to get out of our stadiums without yeah. putting it down to oh well uh, it's controversial so we'll take the whole we'll take the whole controversy and we'll put it in a bottle. And And this is what I think some people do with Portland is that they sort of all uh, the the wider issue around anti-fascism in in the struggle that's happening there is they put it in sort of a big bubble called the violence mm -hmm. and they're like it doesn't really matter who's doing the violence or what the context of the violence is we're just going to kind of say that the whole thing is controversial and it's affiliated with Antifa which is a political group despite the fact that it's not a group or mm -hmm. an organization um we're going to put it over here and say that you can't deal with it. Well, to everyone else, this is a part – this represents a part of their identity in anti-fascism and anti-racism. Mm -hmm. And you just can't tell people to stop being anti-racist. No. You just can't – But it, it, it also is, illustrates – how radicalized people have become that this is even an issue that that, that there's yes. actually any sort of debate about this idea is that we've actually started to take massive steps backwards and this is exactly how fascism operates is it's you start normalizing you can't just storm in and take over everything and say you can't do anything because nobody people will be completely outraged as you slowly roll back certain things and one of the first things you do is you you're just like oh well, you can get away with so much by using the same language as the social justice um side does and, and be like well you know we don't want to offend anyone we want this to be a politics free place because it's welcoming to all like that welcoming to all language is so vague it's almost like the you know if you don't stand for something you'll fall for anything line and you know, I'm not trying to say that there's some massive conspiracy here. It's just, but we we see so much evidence of it, of how much in the United States people have been radicalized, and it's happening in Canada too. To 
believe that this is a legitimate worldview. And to, and to be against it is somehow being political or, um, you know, having a conversation that doesn't belong in a certain sphere. We're talking about fucking fascism. <laughs> like, you know, uh, it just... Mm. I'm going to gr- grind my teeth into a fine pulp it, over this It's one. important. It's important. I uh, I sent an email to Whitecaps. I haven't heard back from them. One of the questions that I asked them was to clarify their statement on um, anti-racism, anti their position on anti-racism and anti-fascism. Because one of the things that I think was important about the statement that the Portland Timbers made, even though it was crit- criticized for not following up on the fact that they explicitly said, we are an anti-racist club, we are an anti-fascist club, um, is that it, it did make those statements. Mm-hmm. And I think that if you are those things, you have to do, like, like you know, the the pushback against that sort of, you know, creeping feeling of fascism that you're talking about. And that's why... Partially what makes the Iron Front a powerful political symbol is that it was banned. Mm-hmm. That's yeah. what. That's why it lasts 33 minutes. It's because the that's whole a, point! <laughs> it's, it's a reference to how it was banned by the Nazis. Yeah. Um, the, uh, if you are not, if you are anti-fascist and you are not fascist, then you let people fly anti-fascist flags. Yeah. That's, that's the... That's like 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 you you allow. That's the true. When people say, "Oh, there's no allowing for a, a marketplace of ideas," that's the true. That's the true. You know, uh, that's the true thing to do is to allow people to actually confront power and actually confront dangerous political movements. Absolutely. I mean, the, anyways, anyways, I mean. If it's a fight they wanted, boy, they, they're sure getting it. Uh, the thing that gives me great hope is that it, MLS has no idea what they've gotten themselves into with the supporters. And it's not a it's not a fight they can win. So good luck to you, but I shake my head. Well, there's three more uh, there's three more games left in the regular season, so the worst can possibly happen is that it blows up in their face in the regular in the playoffs in Portland or Seattle. Make it deep. Yeah, let's bet on it. <laughs> or uh, let's not. Remember let's, when let's they tried to the, get rid of Columbus Crew? <laughs> let's let's give the rest of the league credit too. It has also happened in places like Atlanta and stuff like that. It's it's not only it's not only those teams that we have to you know rely on to For sure. uh, to represent it, but. Uh, but we are heading into a high-profile time for the league. Yeah, which is, it, again, <laughs> just from a marketing point of view, it's like, guys, just allow the fucking flags and move on. Like, this is not <laughs> the hill you want to die on as people start tuning into your league. But And, and, uh... to, tie, and to tie it back to the Whitecaps, and, 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 and why I brought it up, I understand it's the league's problem a little bit more than it's the Whitecaps' problem, but... From that issue to the supporter walkouts that took place earlier this year um, over allegations from former Whitecaps women's players to that is where it's to to any past slight the Caps have done, even even down to the signing of, of a player like Montero that people still have issues with, mm-hmm. right? 
you just create so much static that makes people just sag their shoulders about going there. Anyway, let's talk about Montreal and DC United. Let's talk about Montreal and DC United. Um, this was a game where um, you were interested. I, I really wanted to see more uh, coming from Montreal, especially because this came off the game where they just they they dismantled the list. But uh, the uh, DC looked amazing here. Uh, Ola Kamara has been such a good fit in their um, in their setup. With or without uh, Wayne Rooney. Absolutely. Yeah, no, Kamara was such a, a good bring-in for them. Um, and it was good to see Paul Paul Ariola. why am I struggling with that name today, uh, show up again and, and do his thing for them. I think it's fair to say at this point, Montreal's little roll of the dice in their coaching situation was perhaps the wrong move at this time of year. Um, cause they bounced just above the playoff line by beating the Whitecaps and then they fell back below it with, uh, this loss to DC and Toronto FC's draw with New England. It just, everything that we've said about Montreal this season, it's all coming to fruition here. Um, it, it just, their midfield is still looking really, really weak and, and that, that back line looks super fragile. Um, you know, it's unfortunate to see a player like Piet's who, who plays for our national team and I think has had some really bright moments, just have a really pretty dismal season overall. Um, and a lot of times where players are just looking around like something should have been called, or but they're just flat-footed here and just completely run off the park. And this, for me, was, a, a, as you said, a great game from D.C., but a really poor loss for, for Montreal, who just never really looked in it at any point. Those two uh, Montreal goals come from the first two goals uh, it's zero. It's a three nothing loss, but the first two goals come from some pretty serious errors. One of which is that the free kick hit the wall but kept going. Yeah. Um, and Ola Kamara was able to find it in lots of space because of it. And then Sammy Piet, as you as you say, Bill Hamid hits this long goal, uh, long goal kick um, that is falling to Piet, who I guess tries to head it while he's falling backwards and really hits it forward for the attacking team. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and that is how uh, Ariola picks him off. the yeah. The third goal is the third goal is pretty textbook and in 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 great. But they they got themselves in uh, in such a hole before that. Yeah, and one and that's the thing for me about this game is that to have the game over in thirty minutes is is just not good enough for Montreal at this time of the year. Yes, DC United's been very good. Um, I feel like they could have gotten a point out of this one. They they just really weren't up to the task. And thirty yeah thirty two minutes into the game, they're completely out of it, and they don't really bring in a ton of chances for the next sixty minutes. And DC is able to just sit back and absorb pressure. New England, as you said, drew against Toronto. That was a a, a game where I think both teams st- had a lot to gain. Um, yeah by getting a result, and neither of them did. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know where people have been saying that. The commentary say they thought that Gustavo Bo has been a bust so far, and I don't know. He scores a bunch of goals, so I don't know how you can, you know, sort of perhaps justify that. The, um, But TFC go ahead here first. I don't, 
I'll admit to uh, blanking completely on who TFC's player Benazed is. Is that was that an addition in the window? I have no idea. I don't. I don't remember him either. Benazed, the player. Benazade? Yeah, Benazed. Yes. Um, the, uh, but he's the one who who sort of gets the uh, gets things going for TFC. Um, the uh, that is a rebound from number eight after a, a first save from um, from Matt Turner, who I thought was quite good in this game. Um, and um, Quentin Westbrook did fine as well, uh, but he is sort of caught out by Bo uh, with that shot that gets under him as he's falling. Mm. Benazet is a French player on the loan, and he signed uh, at the end of July. Nice. Um, and the other thing, the, the funny thing to me is that we've talked, you know, so much about the the teams that are in this logjam position. Um, and all of them had their positions, all of them had pretty, like, negative things for them, given the fact that they could have really taken control of, of the scenario that they're in. And only DC really capitalized. Because DC go from 39 to 42 with that win. Um, New York, or uh, New England was on 38. Toronto was on 37. Montreal was on 37. So those three teams stay basically exactly where they are. TC yeah. uh, leapfrogs them. And New York Red Bulls, who lost to Colorado at home. Yeah. How did that oh. happen? <laughs> yeah. Uh, that was one that, like, as I was going through the the games on the weekend and, and trying to decide what to watch, that game had already happened. And I was just like... Okay, all right. Uh, Chicago drew with Columbus, and I was like, "Wait, hang on a minute. What?" <laughs> and things are not okay in Red Bull Land. Um, Jonathan Lewis struck twice early on, and then late on. And just I watching the highlights of this game, I just had popping into my head your voice talking about the Red Bulls' chaos system, and boy, was it chaotic but not in any way that was helpful for them. They were just all <laughs> over the place and just let Colorado completely get under their skin. It was, like, kind of amazing to watch. It was kind of brilliant. Um, and th they were also without Kai Kamara as well, Colorado was, um, because of his suspension. So great from Jonathan Lewis to come in and and step up and, and do this. I Make no mistake, this game was all Colorado taking the opportunity and it just goes to show how valuable of an asset it can be to be underestimated in MLS still that New England really didn't look like they'd done their homework on Colorado they they'd looked completely disorganized and out of sorts now it doesn't do much for Colorado um except give them three points I think they're not technically out of it yet but they've still got a massive hill to climb it just for me, this is a game that New England, or New England, sorry, New York really had to win, and it, it, this just, this can't happen at this point in the season. This is enough of a look for me to say. This is more than just a one-off. We've seen enough of these performances now where you have to think that the Red Bulls are going to get picked off pretty easily in the playoffs. Um, yeah, they, they just didn't have, despite having some of their, you know, biggest uh, attacking pieces, they couldn't um, muster up the sort of um, 
the sort of chances that they have been able to get in the past. Um, I think that this is the what is at stake for Colorado is that this was new head coach Robin Fraser's first game. Mm, right. And I think that if you uh, if you look at the statistic of um, 19, uh, 19 shots from uh, New York Red Bulls and only four on target, mm-hmm. uh, and and you and you think of the way that some of those chances go, it's because pretty much everything that New York was able to do was off the sides. They yeah. they didn't have a lot of room and a lot of opportunities in front of the goal. And I think that that um, really helped enable them. And uh, at that, uh, Colorado, uh, I think that shows a, the right approach from Colorado. And Colorado's been very good at breaking up play as well. And I know that's something that New York really needs to, to thrive on is, is having, like, stringing plays together. And Colorado may not be the prettiest or cleanest team, but they are a quick team, and they're able to just get in and challenge balls and just break up the rhythm of it but they're also a good counter-attacking team and we saw that with the pace of jonathan lewis being able to to beat defenders 1v1 um it's a great result for colorado but yeah not not so good if you're a red bulls fan uh the other team i think that had a uh that is in that um playoff mix that had a shocker was was atlanta um who was beaten by Philadelphia, in, in, you had told me watch this game uh, to restore your your faith in, in soccer humanity. Yes, and uh, and it definitely was. I think it was a two one. I had it down as a two nothing. So maybe not the biggest shocker in the whole world, uh, but uh, or no, sorry, three one. So yes, a little bit of a shocker. Um, the uh, because it really felt like Philadelphia had been. Um, had been, you know, had some stuff go against them and, and wasn't really, then, you know, Atlanta gets the trademark, uh, you know, you're, you're, you're feeling really good about the game and then Atlanta punches you in the throat goal. Um, but, uh, the Philadelphia was really able to, uh, to regroup. It was this, um, this, this first thing that was called offside is, is so frustrating because it was so pretty. A, yeah. a silky sequence of, of, of boops that go from or or boops or, or dupes. I think of the I think of headers as boops. Yeah. If you've got a if you've got to say one or the other. But it's uh it's a sequence that goes from Medunian to Shabilko uh to Fabian and then back to Shabilko. Um with and it looks really, really pretty. Um and it's called off because Fab- Marco Fabian is offside. Now, it's tough because we we talk about the the bars, the VAR calls every week in mm-hmm. offside. And I think uh, one of the commentators this week said, "Well, is it MLS VAR or is it World Cup VAR? Is it mm-hmm. yeah. is it Premier League VAR? Like what what standard are we using here for offside?" And I know that. If you have the ability to computer model it and try to determine whether or not a certain amount of a player uh, a player's arm is offside, you certainly see Fabian be very offside and then try to get onside before the ball is kicked. Mm-hmm. And he doesn't quite get like he's drift. He's 
floating out there, but he does try to track back. And I always wonder about whether or not it's an issue of perspective that if, yes, with a camera, you can determine that his arm was slightly ahead of the play. But in that moment, if he makes a, a an honest effort um, to get back and he thinks he's back and the bulk of his body is in line with the play, I don't know... I don't know that that, you know, I feel like the experience, I feel like the experience of the people on the pitch of feeling onside should almost be as important. Right. I don't know if that's a, I don't know if that's like sort of a clumsy way of saying it, but. I don't think it's in the rule book anywhere. I'll put it that way. But it's, it's very unfortunate for Philadelphia who overall played well, get this goal disallowed. Um, and then. Joseph Martinez scores in stoppage time in the first half. And you just feel like, damn, is this just going to go that way? Um, but for me, this game really kicks off with Aronson's goal in the 61st minute. Um, it's yeah. just like such a mature finish. It's crazy to think of how young that kid is. Cause he, he plays with a maturity way beyond his years. And then Ilsenio comes on and it, it feels like things just all of a sudden kick into high gear. There's a story this week about looking at the stats for when Ilsenio is on the field. And it's just insane, the number of goals that Philadelphia scores. Because um, he's just got... He, he just really flusters defenses. And Philly, Philadelphia just dig in and find a way to win this one. And this, to me, is the uh, like full arrival of Philadelphia as a MLS Cup contention team. They've been in first place this season a number of times, but this to me was the performance that really cemented it. And it wasn't just because they beat Atlanta at home. It was the way in which they did it to go down a goal, to come back and win in such emphatic form and play exactly everything that we've talked about as being good about Philadelphia's game came to fruition in this game. And, And that to me was where I went. If they can keep this up even pretty consistently, I think they're going to be a very very difficult team to beat um in the in the playoffs and i think they they've got a winning formula that can unlock just about any team because they're they're patient they're calm they've got a great build-up uh they've got cleverness they've got depth amazing depth in their roster and it may not be the flashiest of teams but i think still a lot of teams just really underestimate just how good they are uh, Columbus 1-1 Chicago. Uh, I felt that Chicago had a little bit the better of the of, of the two teams. Um, Kronholm uh, really came in for them with a huge game time, game-saving save late on. Um, Room did pretty decent okay uh, as well. Uh, the the goal from Santos was amazing by, um, by Chicago. Mm-hmm. Uh that was a really that was a really uh, phenomenal one. Um, the uh, the first half injury time. It's first half injury time. Is that right, or is it this? Is, 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 yeah, I believe that's the case. Um, the uh, the balls rolling through the area and it's fired home. I noticed a lot of just sort of like it's really easy to catch a MLS team with lateral movement through the box right now. Yeah. Uh, and that was one of them. <laughs> it um, sure is. 
pretty much Chicago had the better, but but no team making a, con- a conclusive effort. Yeah, for real. Um, a team that had a conclusive effort. We talked about teams that really didn't move very far uh, in the standings or get results that they needed to get. One team that got a result they needed to get and continues to get results is San Jose. Yeah. Just wiped the floor with Orlando City. And Orlando City that, although has had a, a, a much improved season as of late, has have not done particularly well and just looked very, very flat-footed. Um, and I still, still don't quite get how teams can just decide to not mark or pay attention to Chris Wondolowski, but he adds another two to his already all-time goal-scoring record in MLS. And yeah, after it happened to, I, I tried not to be too judgy after it happened to Whitecaps to, or you know, because it happened to the Whitecaps. It's just like, oh, uh, yeah, we're we that is also an issue with us, but I guess it's an issue for everybody. Um, the I tried to sort of zapruder this one to find out how that occurred, and I found that um, Orlando's number twenty-two uh, drops back a little too far. I guess maybe to try and uh, to try and, and and do a goal line clearance or or prevent mm-hmm. the the ball from being passed over. But he is really between his goalkeeper in the goal, like like he is on the other side of his goalkeeper from the play, and he uh, creates the space that Wondolowski runs into. Yeah. I will say right now that everything I know about goal scoring, which is very little, is mostly <laughs> modeled after Wondolowski's second goal, where he's nestled right in between the two center backs on a... Uh, I can't remember if it's a corner kick or if the play is just coming from the corner. But he's sitting between the two center backs, and then as the line, as the back four moves, he actually just takes a big... like step back and and finds the space in between like creates this triangle where and nobody follows him and it's such a easy play to make but it can be such a difference maker because in that moment nobody knows who to cover Wondolowski so nobody covers Wondolowski and he just hammers a side-footed ball into the net in probably one of the easiest goals he'll ever score in MLS simply because he gets himself into the right place. Now, take nothing away from how good Wondolowski is and how many different ways he can score goals, but a tecker he is not. He's a gritty striker, plays fairly straightforward, but part of the a big part of the reason why he scores so many goals is getting into the right position, and I, it just blows my mind that defenders are, you know, they're looking at each other and they're trying to keep their shape, but because of that, they're, they're drifting off and they're not man-marking, and it's just been... You know, Almeida's been able to unlock this with such devastating ability, and it's a massive three points for San Jose. I mean, it's it's really crazy to be thinking about, this is the same team. Remember the conversations we were having about them at the beginning of the season, or even back in May? And now they're in, in the water. Now they're a point behind Minnesota, and they're in fourth place, and there's absolutely no reason to think that... Um, like defensively they look better than Seattle and Minnesota at times. So like who knows? This is a team like they can't catch LAFC, but there's no reason why San Jose could not get to second place. They've been out of between them, Seattle and Minnesota, 
I feel like San Jose has been the more consistent team in the last five or six weeks. You've got to really say um, with with that team, this is not a team that I expected to be hosting a home playoff game. <laughs> yes, yeah. which, which yeah. they'd have the right to do if they were uh, they were in fourth. Well done, you. The uh, Portland is doing its darndest to uh, to secure one of those playoff spots, and um, San Jose was able to leapfrog Real Salt Lake because Portland got the uh, the tight one nothing win at home. Yeah, not too much in this one. It was a, obviously a result they needed. Again, it, it just all comes down to consistency with these two teams. Uh, we know that they both, they're both they both clubs with identities, but um, it was good for Portland to be able to hang on here. Real Salt Lake is, is kind of struggling and looking for answers. It's unfortunate because, you know, I think the Petkey firing is going to cast a bit of a cloud over them, and I expect to see RSL probably just make it into the playoffs, probably do what they did last year, break a few hearts, and then probably get knocked out uh, there's still just so many pieces missing there, but they've got the structure and the identity of a club that knows how to work hard. Uh, let's talk, let's go to the other Cascadia team and talk about, I think, this week's dumbest game. Uh, <laughs> Seattle LA Galaxy. I hated this game so much. Oh, 4-3. Yeah, you had, you sent me this scoreline because you had suggest you had, you had, offhandedly suggested that this game was going to have something like nine goals in it. And seven is pretty close. Okay, yeah. I wish we need to, I need to throw that up on Twitter and it's like take a screen cap of our conversation because I, I, you were like, what should, what should I watch, the Minnesota game or the Seattle game? And I was like, well, the Seattle game will probably end like 7-6. And then, <laughs> lo and behold, came real close to it. Um, I don't even want to run through all the goals because, but like truly very few of them were not like the, not great goals. This is the scoreline actually does kind of tell the story of just miserable defending. Like this game is so open. The crazy thing about this game is you think this would be relatively back and forth over the stretch of the game, but it doesn't really kick off until with, there's only 15 minutes left. And then it's like the floodgates open, and this game just becomes totally insane. Nothing at all happens for the first 45 minutes. Raul Diaz scores in injury time. And then, yeah, it is It is like you say, basically the last 50 minutes in which four goals are scored. And and a lot, again, not to, not to go through each one, but a lot of lateral play through the box, a yeah. lot of people that are not under, uh, that's... That's the Ladero goal for Rui Diaz. Um, a lot of people taking shots without pressure. People trying to mark Ibrahimovic with I don't know why I don't know why it looks like uh, Ibrahimovic is being guarded by two like four foot tall defenders. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, but they didn't seem they seemed like like they were not even close to being able to contest with them for that ball. You may I have to jump the, for those ones. It was if you are somebody who who scoffs at the galaxy and their uh, um, and their whole deal right now of of being the focus of attention uh, offensively and in, in a shambles defensively, this was a good result. But you almost feel 
this is this is a good result for you. But I almost feel like Galaxy maybe deserved to win this one a little more. But ultimately, it was their profligacy that created this final the 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 goal for Jordan Morris that gets Seattle back to three three. And and, and that, I guess that they was, really that do was only have goal. themselves to blame. Yeah, another lateral run. Uh, not through the box, but it, it happened further out. But, um, yeah, it... <laughs> this game is so stupid. We, I... we referenced it a little bit earlier, but LAFC 2-0, uh, or 0-2 Minnesota, um, with just this amazing uh, screamer from a very, very, very tight angle uh, to the right past Walker Zimmerman and getting his second by uh, on 29 minutes. That's pretty much all that was it. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think that's it for games this week. I think that's it. Um, where can we find you online? You can find me online on Instagram and Twitter at That's So MLS. Where can we find you? You can find me online at Team Bates, www.team-bates.com. Uh, I'm an editor at Howler Magazine, one howler.com. And you can find this podcast at thatsomls.com, on Apple Podcasts, and wherever podcasts are found. So please rate, review, and subscribe. And don't get yourself sent off. As Kakuta Mane did, where he decided to just uh, thwap a guy in the, uh, uh, palm a guy in the face. Can't do it. (laughs) 